I am excited to introduce to you a new series we're going to be launching, really starting in September, but we're going to lay some groundwork for it uh, starting today. This story, this, this uh, series is called His Story. It's the story that starts in creation and it goes into eternity. It's a story about God and his people. We're going to be looking at the greatest story that was ever told. It's the story of the Bible. And as we look into this story together... We're going to be seeing the purpose, the reason we're walking through this, although I'd argue it's the reason that we do everything that we do, um, is to know God, to know God, to know him, and not just know him as we want to know him. We're not making up who God is. It's to know God as he has revealed himself to us in his story of scripture. And we're going to take a walk through the Bible. It's actually going to be a 52-week, I know, settle down. It's a 52-week journey through the entire Bible. Now, we're not going verse by verse. I think we'd start losing people in droves if we were doing verse by verse through Leviticus. Um, But what it is, is we're going to look through the storyline, the narrative thread of Jesus as revealed through the stories of Scripture, uh, and see how all of those little stories that we've known since we were little fit together into one big story. And I'm so excited about this. Um, this, in the month of August, we're going to do a prologue. We're going to because it's a book, the Bible, we're going to kind of approach it like a book. And so the prologue or the introduction is going to lay some groundwork for how we're going to approach this story. Okay, and then on September 11th, uh, we're going to have a kickoff where we begin, where we get into the beginning uh, of this great story. Um, and we're going to have some, some cool things. We're going to have a reading guide of, of reading this story through Scripture um, ourselves. And then we're going to be uh, doing some things with the youth group and the, and the children's departments and the small groups and, and everybody kind of being on the same page as much as possible so we can be talking about these stories uh, together. So I'm just going to warn you this morning, I'm going to nerd out on you a little bit here. Um, we're going to get a little, a little nerdy, a little Sunday schooly. Some of you guys are going to be like, Ugh. some of you guys are like, finally, really? Release that inner nerd. Just embrace him. He's there. Put some glasses on him and dance with him, right? It's going to be good. Um, now, speaking of nerds, how many of you wear glasses uh, or, or contacts of some sort? One of those is more obvious than the other one, right? Okay, so um, I have always had, um, I've never had glasses. I've always had perfect vision. Suckers. Uh, but it, it evens out. I have the hips of a 75-year-old man, so, it, you know, God, he, he humbles us. Um, but I remember as a kid trying on my, my dad's glasses, and I put them on, and it was just insane. Like, all of a sudden, I was like, this is how you would see the world without these? Everything's blurry. Uh, it, it's, it's unclear. My mom's yelling at me, take those glasses off. you go blind like your father. Right, you know? And <laughs> that's how I hear my mom's voice in my head, apparently. <laughs> uh, and, to thi- and, and to think that those of you who raised your hands ye with inferior eye genes to me, that when your glasses are not on, that that's how you see the world. Blurry and confusing, okay? And and when you put those glasses on or put those contacts in, all of a sudden, the world becomes clear. And you see the beautiful things all around you as they really are. Now, we're going to be talking today about a lens that we look through But it's much more important than our physical eyeball. It's the lens of our mind. We're going to talk about something called a worldview, all right? And we're going to be, yeah. Um, We're going to talk about how we see the world, okay? In other words, what do we believe about the reality around us? Because what we believe, how we see the world determines 
every single thing that we do and we say and we think. Now, I remember in high school, uh, Jacob and I would watch uh, basketball games on the television. And uh, we would sit there, you know, let's say I'm sitting on the couch and he's sitting on the chair. And we're watching this game and our team is doing well. We're winning, okay? Everything's good. Our team would start to fall behind, all right? So we look at each other and we knew what we needed to do. We needed to switch places, clearly. So I go sit on the chair and he sits on the couch and now our team starts doing better. It was awesome. And, and then, but then they start falling behind again. Okay, we got to ratchet it up a level. So now we're like putting blankets on our heads and standing on our hands and taking off shirts and we, will, we won't even go some of the directions we went with that. Um, this is your worship leader and your pastor. Uh, and, and, and so what we, now, what does this imply? Other than the fact that we were crazy. Um, we believed that, that our actions in the living room, thousands of miles away, unrelated to this basketball game, could affect the outcome of the game. And that belief, that view of the world, determined how we lived and caused us to take our shirts off, okay? So, so and, and the reason, there, there are actually more serious implications of worldview than that, if you can imagine. Um, and, and, I, and I say this with sensitivity, but what causes one person to see an abortion as a matter of convenience or choice and another person to see it as murder? What causes a man to blow himself up and take as many people with him as possible and believe not only is it a good thing, but it's the best thing that he could do? What causes my friend Bart to uproot his family, to sell everything they own, to abandon their comfortable Midwestern lifestyle and move to a small island called Papua New Guinea and live amongst these people who didn't even know him from Adam and spend the next 25 years of his life telling them about a man named Jesus. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we think the things that we think? Why do we feel the way that we feel? These are all issues of worldview. So we got to ask the question, what is a worldview? Well, a worldview simply is this. It's how one views or interprets their world. Now, there's a lot of notes today. Um, if you have in your bulletin, we do have notes you can follow along with if you want to check those out. And then we always do put the PowerPoints uh, on the website. So if, you, if you're like furiously writing down notes, just chill out. Um, so Phillips and Brown, they, they said it this. They, they took it a little bit deeper. They said, um, it, for, worldview is first of all an explanation and interpretation of the world. And second, it's an application of this view to our lives. So simply put, simply put, it's how we view reality around us and then how we act on that view, okay? Now, today we're going to take a short and rare departure from me simply preaching from Scripture. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the different ways that people view the world, who, the way they view reality around us. And the next week, we're jumping right back into Scripture. This is the exception to the rule, but we still believe this is from God. Um, so it's a couple things here on worldview. First of all, worldviews are like belly buttons. Everybody has one, okay? Uh, they all look different, but, but they all have one, okay? Um, worldviews are not just for, like, that sounds like a big fancy word that would be for, like, philosophy professors or, you know, or just the, the smarty pants of the world, but every single one of us has a way in which we see reality around us. We all have a worldview. Secondly, 
Worldviews are like buffets. It's not an entree where you're like, I will, you know, like today when you go to lunch after word, after church, and you go to Frozo's, and you say, I'd like a chicken parm, a Jean, please. Um, you don't say, well, I'm going to take a Christian worldview, or I'm going to take an atheistic worldview, or I'm going to take a, you know, it, it, what we do is we are all the time, we are like, it's like going through a buffet, and we are everything that you do in your life, the things you see on TV, the people you interact with, all of these things are affecting and influencing your worldview. And so what you're doing is you're taking a scoop over here, and you're taking a scoop over here, and you're compiling the way that you see your reality. And then finally, worldviews are like tree roots. They're like tree roots. They affect every single aspect of our lives. What we're talking about here is not just abstract and theoretical. This is ground-level stuff. This is everything you do. Uh, Murray Mormon said it like this, the foundations of worldview profoundly affect our lives as well as every institution of society. Political parties, social policies, educational philosophies, views of philanthropy, nothing remains untouched. Those are big words, but he's saying this. How you vote in November is determined by your worldview. How you treat your neighbor is affected and determined by your worldview. How we learn how, how you dress this morning is influenced by your worldview. How you're going to eat after church, the, the way that you talk to people, your manners, your belief about life and death, these are all expressions of your worldview. So this is extremely important that we understand how we view the world. There are four components, four main components of a worldview. These are questions that even if we don't realize that we have given answers to. We have given them answers, and they profoundly affect the way we live every single day. The first one is reality. What is reality? As we look around us, is, is it just physical? Is it just the things that we can see? Is it just the spiritual, the things that we can't see? Is it a combination of both of those things? Um, how do I know? How do I know what even is real and what even is true? And we're going to talk about that more in a minute. What about where did all of this come from? Everything that we see around us or can't see around us, where, was, where did it originate? And what about God? Is there a God? And if there is a God, what is he like? These are questions that affect our reality. Second one is, is humankind. What is man? What is man? Um, is he uh, just an animal, just like, just like the otter or the moose? Is he a complex machine from evolutionary process? Is he have a spirit um, and, and what we believe about our own makeup is going to drastically affect the way that we see our life and other people's lives. What about our destiny? Is there a heaven or a hell? Do we just decompose and go into the ground and rot after we die? Is there a reincarnation uh, experience? Thirdly, values. Have you ever thought about this? What determines right and wrong? Like, who decides? This is an issue of morals. Like, when we say something's good... By what standard are we calling it good? Is there a God who has decided what's right and wrong? Are we just kind of taking a vote on it ourselves and just kind of, it's a democratic approach? How do we know what's right and wrong? And then finally, what's our purpose? Several options, maybe there is no purpose. Maybe it's all just meaningless, okay? Some of you are having flashbacks from Solomon and Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless. Maybe we're here to glorify God, as the Bible says, that our whole purpose of existing is to worship him and know him. Uh, or maybe it's just to have as much fun as possible before we die. This is Blair's worldview, right? Um, yeah. 
five, there are five major worldviews in the world today. Now, I, I'm going to be generalizing here uh, just for the sake of time and simplicity. Uh, like we said, it's not as neat and tidy as this. It's not like there are only five worldviews and not everybody fits into these pigeonholes. But these are kind of the five major ways of thinking that we're taking scoops from on the buffet table. Okay? The first one is, is called animism. Okay? I told you I was getting nerdy today. It means spirit or life or breath. It basically comes where we get the word animated, to be alive. That's where it's coming from. Um, so basically, an animist would say everything, everything in the world has a spirit element to it. Okay? Think Pocahontas. Because I know every rock and tree and creature has a life, has a spirit, has a name. <laughs> She was evil. Quit clapping. Um, <laughs> this is the wrong worldview. Um, <laughs> you see this mostly um, amongst indigenous people. Think tribal culture. Alaska, okay, very specific to us. A lot of village life is built on animistic principles. Um, they would believe, an animist would believe, that the spirit world controls what goes on in the material world. So in other words, our crops grow because of the spirits controlling them. The rain falls because of the spirits controlling them. The sun shines. Everything about our life is controlled by the spirit world. Um, now, what they would believe about humans, they believe that we are created by these gods, but we were created just like all the other material things. So that rock and that tree are the same as you and I. We have a spirit element to us, but we're not unique or set apart from the other physical things. Okay? And when, they come to, when it comes to values... They would say that morality comes in the form of taboos. In other words, like I put there, it's things that irritate or anger the spirits. Don't do those, okay? Don't tick off the gods. So it's, it's avoiding the bad things so that you get what you want from the spirits. And so their purpose, therefore, is simply to appease the gods in order to have a good life here and now. So that's the rain dance, or that's the prayers, or that's whatever it is, so they can appease the gods to get their crops to grow, to get the rain to fall, to get the sun to shine. Now we might say, what a weird worldview. Who would ever think like that? When Jacob and I were on the couch, what are we doing? We're taking a heaping spoonful of animism, right? I am trying to appease the basketball gods to get the outcome that I want through my actions on the couch. Animism seeps into our life way more than we would want to think. Number two, pantheism. Pantheism. This comes from two words. Uh, it, pan means all, okay? And, and theism comes from the concept of gods. So what pantheism is saying is that everything in this world is a part of God, and God is in everything. So it's just kind of this one seamless fabric of godness. And again, I'm, I'm going to be doing some kind of gross generalizing, so, you know, uh, just chill out. Um, Hinduism, Taoism, Buddhism, New Age, these are all ways of thinking. If you notice, those are all from the eastern part of the world. We are western. We have a very different mindset than the pantheist. So while this might not resonate with you, millions and millions and millions of people in the world have a pantheistic worldview, okay? So what they would say about reality is only the spiritual dimension exists, that that is the ultimate reality. The physical is more of an illusion. So that chair you're sitting on right here, not real, okay? Not real. Now, they would say about humans that humans are just ultimately part of that seamless fabric. So the individuality of man is not nearly as important. We're just part of this sort of impersonal, eternal um, life force that is God. 
okay? And according to values, therefore, there is no real distinction between good and evil. It's just understanding our oneness with the universe, how we fit in with the rest of the universe, and therefore their purpose is just to achieve this oneness. One of the ways that is seen uh, is, is trying to avoid bad karma, okay, so that you can reincarnate and move up the ladder until you achieve nirvana, which is this understanding of the oneness of the universe, okay. Third one, and this one's going to resonate with us a little bit more. This is called monotheism, okay? Monotheism just simply means there's one God. So instead of God being in everything, there is one who is God. And this would be religions we're a little more familiar with, our own biblical Christianity, one God, Jehovah. Uh, traditional Judaism doesn't believe in the New Testament and that Jesus was the, the Messiah, that he was God, uh, but they hold to this one God approach. And then, of course, Islam believes that there is one God. There is no other than Allah is what they would call God. So I put them in air quotes because some of those gods are, are different. The reality for a monotheist is that God does exist and that he created everything, both the spiritual and the physical. So everything that is in this world, and there are things that we can see and things we can't see, but it all comes from this one God. And then therefore, a monotheist would believe that humans were created by this God, whatever his name may be to them, and are unique to the rest of creation in relationship to him. In other words, we are more unique and set apart than the rock or the tree. Okay? God, we believe God made us in his image, and he values us differently than he values animals. He values the environment. Does that not play out in a lot of issues today? Values. Values are determined by God, and humans must live according to these objective, absolute standards. In other words, how do we know what's right and wrong? God says what's right and wrong. And then humans, the monotheist would say, live according to whatever God said. So if God calls it good, it's good. If God calls it bad, it's bad. He makes the call, not us. And then the purpose is just to simply do whatever God says. Whatever God says our purpose is, that's the purpose that we live out because he was our creator. The next one is called modernism. Now, modernism started uh, during the Enlightenment period. This is the late 1800s, early 1900s, okay? Now, what happened with modernism, it comes in, and this would be like um, atheism, rationalism, agnosticism. That means, atheism means that they believe there is no God. Agnosticism says we can't know if there is a God or not. Agnosis, without knowledge. We can't know that if there is a God or not. Existentialism, naturalism. These are all have their roots, if you're familiar with any of those terms, in modernism. Now, the modernists would say only what you can see and touch and feel and hear exists. There is no spiritual dimension. It's only what's before us. Everything else can be explained through science and reason. So that means there is no God. There are no angels. There are no demons. There is no afterlife. So you think about that way that, that affects the way that you live and act and speak. They would believe that humans, therefore, are just a chance of, of a biological process of evolution. We are not, no God created us. It all started with a big bang, bang, right? Um, to the nerds out there. Therefore, values are also just, there's, there is no standard, because if there's no God that says there's right or wrong, then it's just kind of up to man to determine what's right and wrong. And really the basis that the modernists would base that on is just what works the best. What kind of just is most functional and therefore their purpose is just is to make the best life here now. Because there's no afterlife. They're not working toward eternity. They're just living here and now. So why not just live as, as good as we can right now? And the only way that they can discover truth is through the scientific process and through our own minds. And finally, I told you, well, then, then we'll be done with this part of it. Thanks for hanging with me here. Uh, postmodernism. 
Postmodern, the word post, it just simply means after. So modernism and then postmodernism, it comes after modernism. And it was, based, it was actually a reaction and kind of a revolt against modernism. We've seen this in the last 60, 70 years um, come around. Now this one, this one's pretty freaky, okay? Uh, the reality for the postmodernist is there is no ultimate reality. The postmodernists would say there is no meaning, there is no absolute truth, and you think about living your life in a way that says nothing matters. That there is, nobody can make a truth claim and say this is true as opposed to any other truth claim. So for humans, we're just a product of the environment. No one could say this is what man is or this was, is what man isn't because that would be making a truth claim. And there is no ultimate truth. So when it comes to values, there can't be values. Ultimate, absolute values, it's all relative. What's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. And therefore, purpose, this is how I wrote it out. You know what that sounds like? (laughs) That's the technical term for, for the the postmodernist, there is no meaning. There, There is no purpose in their lives. It's all random chaos and whatever you want truth to be in your own mind. So here's the question. We look at these different ways of seeing the world. How do we know, how do we know which one's true? Is is one of these right versus one of these wrong? Now, if you're a postmodernist, you would say, it doesn't matter, none of them are true, right? But how do we know, is there truth to one of these? Is there truth to all of them? Is it some of them? How do we know what is true? One more big word, then I'll, I'll leave you alone. Uh, epistemology, okay? This, is, this simply means the Greek word for episteme. I just want, in case you see this word as you're studying, that you would kind of know what it is. Episteme means to know, and logos, okay, you've probably seen that before. It can be translated the word, or it can also be translated to study. So this is simply studying how we know what we know. It's, an, it's asking this simple question, and yet very profound. How do we know what we know? How do you know that what you know, wow, that was scary. How do you know what you know is true? Millions of people on this planet, everybody has a different worldview. How do you have the audacity to say that what you believe, the way you see the world, is the right one? How do we know what we know? So we're going to play a little game that I call Name That Epistemology, all right? The Game Show Network is about to snatch this one up. I just know it. Uh, So let's say, for example, uh, my, uh, this was from my old Bible school notes. It said my Uncle Jake, but my Uncle Denny is actually here from Indiana, so I'm going to use him. My Uncle Denny, this is, this is hypothetical. My Uncle Denny says he's going to sell all of his possessions, sell all of his possessions, move to India, and, def- and feed the starving children. Very nice of you. Why? He says, oh, I had this vision in my dreams of Mother Teresa, and she was feeding the starving children of India. And that's how I know that I'm supposed to move to India and feed the starving children. My aunt's like... How does he know what he knows is true? He's basing it on his experience, isn't he? The big word for this is existentialism. He's saying, I had this experience, and therefore it's true. Another way way to kind of live more where where we are, uh, what if I said, I love her, and I know that I'm supposed to marry her? It just feels right. You're basing, I know what is true. Oh, there it is. I know it's true because I experienced it. Or in that case, I know it's true because I feel it. 
We're basing our reality on our feelings and our experience. Does that sound dangerous? Yeah, it's very dangerous. If I walked up to you and said, I feel like I need to punch you in the face, right? Hey, I had a vision. It's all right. It was your face. It's, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I wish that it was the India one, but it wasn't. Uh, Sorry. How about this? I know, I know UFOs are real. I saw one. Right? Uncle Denny, he was sitting over there. I saw one. I saw one. I know it's real. Or how about the doubting Thomas in, in John chapter 20? He goes, unless I see the nail, the, the scars in his hand, unless I put my finger in the hole, unless I put my hand in his side, I won't believe it. This, is, this, this epistemology is saying, oh, there it is. The, it's based on the five senses. I need to see it, touch it, hear it, taste it, smell it. I know it is true because I saw it or because I heard it. This is what we're basing reality on. Now, are there problems with this worldview? Can we always trust our five senses? How many times are you at a crime scene? We, well, hopefully you're not often at crime scenes. Uh, <laughs> or at least not the cause of them, uh, or a car crash, and, and there are two witnesses, and they see the same thing, but because of their vantage point or because of their assumptions, they come up with two completely different stories. We can't base our reality on what we see and what we touch and what we thought we, we, we observed. And that line of thinking doesn't answer the questions like right and wrong. So the approach of what we'd call empiricism or using our five senses, it doesn't answer all the questions of reality. How about this one? Um, let's see, where is he here? Where's George? George, where's, he's not here. All right, Bill, uh, how about Robert? We'll pick on, oh, there he is. Good, you're trying to hide. All right, what if I said this? George is a man. Amen. <laughs> all men have nose hair. Therefore, George has nose hair. All right? Seems reasonable. Seems logical. Let's see. No. Uh, So what I'm basing my knowledge on is reason. Okay? What I'm saying is I know it's true because it makes sense. We would call this rationalism. That we can make sense of it. That it's logical in our minds and therefore it must be true. This is where a lot of the mathematical side of the scientific world comes in. I can make it all line up so it it, it makes sense. But here's a problem. Oftentimes, our logic fails us. Let's say I said it this way. Uh, let's say all, all women have nose hair. George has nose hair. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And we, we cannot base our own ability to look at the world and figure it out because we have a fallen, limited, tiny peon human brain that is not smart enough to base reality on our own ability to reason. How about this one? Buddhists believe in Buddha. That's awesome. Muslims believe in Allah. That's awesome. The atheist believes there is no God. That's awesome. Christians believe in Jehovah God, Yahweh. That is awesome. What you believe is good for you, and what I believe is good for me, let's just hold hands and sing Kumbaya, right? Now, I kind of make light of it, but this is, what, what, thought, what thought process is that? 
That's the postmodernism we talked about, right? That's saying there is no absolute truth. That whatever your truth, whatever you claim to be true is true for you, and whatever I claim to be for me is, is true for me, but there is no absolute truth. It's saying I know it's true because I believe it. So if I believe this reality, then this is reality for me, and you can't question my reality because what standard are you questioning this reality on? It becomes crazy. Now, there's a lot of problem with this. First and foremost, the statement, there is no absolute truth, is an absolute truth, right? To say there's no truth is trying to make a truth claim. So the claim invalidates itself. Not to mention, this is not livable. Like, if I came up to you and said, you know what? My, my truth is that that iPhone in your pocket, it actually belongs to me, right? Oh, that's not true for you? Oh, too bad, right? When we try to live some of these things out to their logical conclusion, it doesn't work, and these inherent contradictions come together. Now, how about this one? Last one. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the... Uh, uh, joyful noise, joyful noise. <clears throat> this is God's revelation. That what we would say, what the, what, the, what the Christian would say, is I know it is true because God's word said it is true. I know that Jesus loves me because God told me that Jesus loves me. And, and we who follow Jesus, we believe, we believe that God has revealed truth. God has revealed reality to us. We, we see it through creation. We, things, we see things that are true about God in creation. But more specifically, we see the truth about God as what he has revealed to us in the Bible. And we can know what, what we say is we know what we know because God told us. And we're going to talk more about this next week, what it looks like to have a worldview based on the Bible. I told you we're going back to the Bible, okay? And God shows himself to mankind. Now, this is, and this is where we'll land the plane. Why does this matter? Why are we talking about this? Why are we using big words and talking about worldview? Is this relevant to our lives? A couple of things. First of all, it's important for ourselves. We, this is, this is so imperative. This is a life and death thing. We need to make sure our entire view of the world is based on what God says reality is. Not what we think, not what we feel, what God says it is. We can't just add Jesus, take a scoop of Jesus, and slap it onto our worldview plate, along with some animism, along with some, there's no absolute truth, along with, it doesn't work like that. We have to have our minds completely shaped. That's what Paul meant when he said in Romans 12. He goes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, and make no mistake, the world, your own nature, there is a tendency to want, we are influenced and a Affected by every single thing around us that wants us to conform to the patterns, to the thinking of this world, the people that we talk to, the things that we watch on television, the things that we listen to, the things that we read, everything, every single day is dealing on the worldview level. And he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. The Holy Spirit does this amazing thing where he says he guides us into what? Into truth. The Spirit teaches us what is true and what is not true. And he uses the word of God as the roadmap. 
And why, do, why does this matter so much? Because Paul said in Colossians, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, everything you do, everything you say, everything you think, everything you feel, everything that's impacted by your worldview, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We have been called every single aspects of our lives are to give glory to God. Every single aspect of your life is affected by your worldview, matters to God, needs to be redeemed and refined by God for his glory. It's important for us, but also it's important for others. It's so imperative as we go out into this world, the reason we were left on this planet was to tell people about Jesus. That's the only reason we're left. Otherwise, let's just go home and be with him and party right now. We said, I gave you a task to do. Go tell this world. And this is why this is so important. As you get to know someone, and I, and I believe that evangelism is best done in the context of a relationship. Now, I'm not here to naysay on door-to-door evangelism. God has used that. People have come to know Jesus through that. But I think the most effective way, as seen through history, is building a relationship with somebody, developing trust with them. And then part of that is being able to see how do they see the world? What is, what is their worldview? Because the way that you're going to talk to someone who doesn't believe there's any ultimate reality... And the way you talk to somebody that comes from an animistic culture from native Alaska is going to be very different. That doesn't mean the truth changes, but it means the way you talk to them is going to change. The starting point's going to change. And this is what Paul kind of hits on, or Peter, sorry, that's always Paul to me. First Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. When someone comes up to you and says, how do you know what you know to be true is true? And they ask you questions about the reality around you and what, what you believe. Are we ready to give an answer? And not only are we ready to give an answer based on what God has told us about truth in his word, if we don't know the word, we can't answer it according to our worldview. But are we ready to answer them in a way that they can hear it? Are we ready to see behind their eyes how they see the world and speak in a way that's going to connect with them? It's so important. <clears throat> so what I want you to ask yourself this week, and there's, at the end of your, in your bulletins, there's these questions for the car ride that you can take home. Talk about them with your family on the way home. Talk about them tonight at Family Devotions. And you ask yourself, what is our worldview? We know what it should be, but how do we really see the world? How do we really know what's true? And what we're going to talk about next week is how we let the Bible, God's revealed truth to us, shape that worldview. Father, <clears throat> we are bombarded every single day with lies lies about how this world works, lies about you, lies about whether you exist, lies about right and wrong. We see this so much right now. You read the newspaper, and it is filled with incorrect worldview. Lord, I pray that we would dig deep with each other through this series, that we would dig deep with our families as we wrestle with you and the word, that we would get down to this level and understand and ask ourselves the hard questions, how do we know what we know? And Father, I pray that above all, that your Holy Spirit would do an amazing work in us that he would teach us and he would show us what is real and what is true. And Father, I pray that that would start with the way that we see you. And I confess that there's so many times that I don't think about you rightly and that affects the way I do every single thing throughout my day. So Father, I pray right now as we worship together that you would transform our minds, that your spirit would wash us with your word and that we would see you as the good father you are and base our entire reality on knowing you. In your son's name we pray, amen.